Hi, I'm Dave Bush on KZ1O, and this is 99hobbies.com. Hi, welcome back to 99 Hobbies. Uh, tonight I talked to Carl Litzelschwab, K9LA, about propagation, or as he put it, how your signal gets from here to there. This was a whole lot of fun. Okay, I have Carl on the phone right now. Uh, hi, Carl. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, Dave. Good. Uh, you know, I I talked to you earlier about propagation, and maybe it would be a good idea to talk about um, what is propagation and why do we care about that? Okay. Well, that is a good question because uh, probably a lot of people uh, wonder what uh, propagation means. And, and simply, it means how an electromagnetic wave gets from point A to point B. And there's a variety of ways to do that. And we care about it because uh, it depends on our goals in amateur radio. Mm-hmm. And if we understand propagation, we can probably best achieve our goals mm-hmm. uh, with that understanding. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, propagation is something you really can't, uh, do anything about, uh, sort of like the weather. That's correct, Dave. Um, uh, everyone talks about the weather, but no one does anything about it. But uh, <laughs> HF propagation is pretty much the same, although if you have an understanding, you could come up with alternative plans, just like uh, you know, if you're planning for a picnic uh, on Sunday and you'll look ahead to the weather and maybe you'll plan a rain date. Propagation is kind of like the same thing. If you have a good understanding of it, you can uh, make some uh, go-around plans to get your goal accomplished regardless of uh, what happens. So this this is probably true whether you're talking about um, contest or just uh, general uh, QSOs, whether you're talking, you want to talk to, maybe if you have a a new country in Europe that you'd like to talk to, um, is there a way to find out when's the best time to... Uh, say, get to France? Sure there is, yeah, with uh, uh, propagation prediction programs. Um, Back in the 70s, uh, much data was collected by scientists, mostly at Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they tried to do was correlate what the ionosphere was doing uh, versus what the sun was doing. And with that, uh, by knowing some key parameters, we can generally make a pretty good prediction on what propagation will be from point A to B, point B, and then you can uh, work with that accordingly. Well, this stuff changes um, maybe not so much from day to day, but from year to year. And, and we talked about before about the uh, sunspot cycle. Maybe, maybe this would be a good time to talk about okay. the 11-year cycle. Sure. Well, let me make a quick comment about your, you said that the uh, may not the, the the propagation may not change too much day to day actually it really does there is quite a, a lot of variability in the day to day ionosphere hmm. and because of that we don't have a daily model of the ionosphere in other words trying now, to predict, let me let me interrupt for a second you're talking okay. about like like during the day or between uh monday and tuesday between monday and tuesday wow yeah, even what we have basically is is a monthly model. It's an average, mm-hmm. and then it's statistical about that average on any given day of the month and uh, for any given time. Of course, the ionosphere varies um, versus time, the time of day. It varies versus the month. It varies 
during uh, various versus where we are in a sunspot cycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> basically, we we understand propagation on a statistical level. Uh, we we can't say what's going to happen today too well. So we just have to understand that and uh, use it appropriately. Well, uh, I've seen some of the things where they talk about it's a smooth uh, sunspot cycle, and I know what that means is that it it was different yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and the chances are what that that today is going to be like this. Is that what they're saying? I mean, you, you can't well, say the, <laughs> like well, if you're surfing, it's like well, the next wave is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's like going to Las Vegas. And rolling the dice, uh, there is a certain <laughs> amount of probability to it, and and there's not an absolute certainty. So if your program says the best band to, to work France on, for example, is is uh, 20 meters, on any given day it could be that uh, uh, 20 meters may not work. You may have to go to 30 meters, or if the band's exceptionally better than average, uh, you could probably head up to uh, 17 meters. Um, and and all this comes from. Like I said, the the scientists who tried to come up with a, a way to uh, correlate with correlate what the sun was doing to what the ionosphere was doing, and uh, they determined that the best way to do that is on a monthly average basis mm-hmm. and, and apply statistics to that. They did not find any good correlation uh, in what the sun is doing today to what the ionosphere is doing today right now. Well, what do you, what do you use to measure this kind of thing? It's uh, sunspot cycles. Yes. And yeah, that was, of course, the most obvious uh, parameter uh, back in the uh, in the uh, let's see, that'd be the tw- early twentieth century uh, mm-hmm. when uh, it was found out that the strength of the ionosphere was correlated to the sunspot cycle. <clears throat> From then on. Uh, Lots of studies were done trying to understand this better, and this is where we ended up. But sunspot cycles, uh, well, we've, we've recorded sunspots you know, way back 2,000 years ago with the Chinese, but only since about 1750 or so have, have the, has the data been uh, uh, scrutinized carefully and, and reconstructed so that we have a good record back to uh, uh, solar cycle one, which started in, I believe, what was around 1755. Well, actually, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you, um, you know, this is cycle... 23. And this started, uh, so 23 times 11, that was a long time ago, but when the Chinese yep. recognized this, how... How did they did they look at the sun and say, "Oh, yes. there's sunspots there"? I mean, they didn't have yeah, optics at the time, right? Yeah, it's pretty. When you look at the sun, of course. Uh, let me just make a quick comment that uh, never directly look at the sun without yeah, yeah, any kind of filter, absolutely, because that'll wreck your eyes. And I'm sure people in the past probably had some problems. But uh, that's a good point. Uh, Sunspots were noticed because they're black spots on the sun. It's because they're cooler areas on the sun and they're dark. And, of course, the invention of the telescope uh, certainly helped uh, us count the spots and take an accurate record of how many there were. Um, And that's why I said, you know, data prior to about 1750 is kind of iffy. Uh, We know that there were sunspots, of course, but... Not until about 1750 do we have some really good records, and, and, and from then we, you know, start keeping track of them. Now, sunspots, we know that it affects 
um, HF you know, 80, 40, 20, 15, and, and uh, actually 10 quite a bit. And I hope that we can talk about that in a second. But how how do you measure that? What What is um, the sunspot number mean? Okay, the sunspot, there, yeah, every day, hopefully, Somewhere in the world, you can uh, you know see the sun visually, you know, and there are clouds, etc., that uh, may uh, get in the way. But what you do is uh, discount the number of sunspots and the number of sunspots areas in the sun, and then there's a handy dandy little formula that allows you to determine the official sunspot number. So what you do, you, you do that every day. Uh, you count sunspots and sunspot areas, and come up with a daily sunspot number. Now, like I said before, that daily sunspot number doesn't correlate too well with what the ionosphere does. So we have to take a little bit longer-term look. So we take all those daily sunspot measurements over a month's time frame and come up with the average monthly sunspot number. Now, that doesn't correlate very well either, and eventually we ended up with the best correlation the scientists found was you take basically a 12-month running average of the monthly averages, and that's called the smooth sunspot number. It's oh, called smooth okay. because it's very heavily averaged, and this mm-hmm. is how we officially measure sunspots. That's and it, what that's it does it. is it results in a nice, nice smooth plot as opposed to a very spiky plot if you start plotting the monthly averages or even the daily uh, sunspot numbers. So in that case, you, you see more of a trend right. than what it's going to be like next Thursday. Right, yeah. yeah. And the sunspots are tied to propagation because sunspot areas are, are areas that emit lots of extreme ultraviolet radiation, which is uh, radiation in the oh, 10 to 100 nanometers wavelengths. Mm-hmm. And that radiation ionizes the atmospheric constituents. And it's been, you know, early on in the 20th century, it was determined that the more sunspots the more extreme ultraviolet was radiated, and therefore the more the ionosphere was formed, the, the more dense it was. And that all ties into uh, the more dense, the higher the frequency will be refracted back to Earth. Okay. Well, when when I think of, of sunspots, I think of radio, but um, it also um, actually affects other things like uh, power lines and other, right. you know, yeah. non-radio kind of stuff, right? That's right. Our amateur radio dealings, um, generally we want more sunspots because that makes the higher HF bands better, you know, 15 meters, uh, 12 meters, 10 meters, and even 6 meters. But, of course, when the sun is uh, very active and producing lots of sunspots, it also can produce disturbances to propagation. And those are uh, show up with uh, solar flares, uh, show up as coronal mass ejections, and also coronal wind, uh, wind streams. And l- let me back up for a second. What, what is a coronal mass ejection? What that is is just a, a big explosion on the sun where large amounts of matter are ejected from the sun. And they, well, if the uh, coronal mass ejection occurred on the side facing the earth, eventually that stuff, that all that electrons and protons will get to the earth. And they could they could affect uh, propagation via disturbing the Earth's magnetic field. And I, I've seen some of the pictures at uh, nasa.gov. Um, 
How big are these explosions compared to the size of the Earth? <laughs> oh, they're very big. Uh, probably as large as they can be, yes. There, there's, I'm sure there are small ones, and then there's really big ones that can really cause problems. And those disturbances, uh, you know, we as amateur radio operators kind of put up with the bad stuff because those disturbances mostly happen at solar maximum. And that's where we usually want to be because that means 10, 15, and 20, and even 6 meters are really good. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a small price to pay. Uh, the disturbances are a small price to pay to have good propagation. Now, unfortunately, those disturbances, like you mentioned, also affect other stuff. They can take down power grids, and that's happened. Yep. Uh, they can uh, they can cause a hazard to astronauts because of energetic particles. I have heard about that. Yeah. Yep. That and uh, can actually uh, kill satellites too, and that's happened before. I, I've they, heard that myself. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing is that that's coming you know, that's more and more prevalent nowadays is uh, a solar disturbance can uh, cause errors in your GPS system. So mm. if you think you're here, and if there's a solar disturbance, <laughs> you may not be where you think you are. That's not so good. Yeah, so that's why, that's why the, that's the thing. The, the solar disturbances are what the media really picks up on most, mm. and those are the bad things of the sun. Uh, of course, the sun is, you know, if it wasn't for the sun, we wouldn't be here on the phone talking. Uh, that's correct. So, you know, it's a good thing to have the sun. It's just that we got to put up with some... Uh, uh, disturbances every once in a while. It's kind of like raising a kid, I guess. Every <laughs> once in a while, you can have some interesting times. <laughs> How can that help you as a ham operator? You know, whether you want to be on 80 or 40 or 20 uh, to work that rare station. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. That <clears throat> uh, the more you know, the better you're able to understand what's going on. And it's just like raising kids. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just some general propagation issues. For example, the lower bands um, <clears throat> are most uh, affected by absorption, ionospheric absorption, where the signal just gets degraded. So they are best at night, whereas the higher bands need ionization because they're higher frequency and they need more electrons in the ionosphere to refract off of. So generally, you know, at night you're on the low bands, during the day you're on the high bands. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, a good way to understand propagation, of course, is to, well, you could read about it, of course, and also use propagation programs and also, you know, just get on the air and experience it. Um, uh, there's nothing like experience when you're doing something that you consider fun. Um, but, uh, somebody was, was telling me that uh, it'd be a good idea to uh, predict using the models and then get on the air and try it and compare your results. You know what, that may have been one of your columns that that you wrote. Um, yes. It, it, yeah, there have been uh, probably a number of studies by amateurs, I'd say, that, uh, you know, try and correlate what the band is doing to the predictions. And mm-hmm. in general, when there aren't any uh, disturbances from the sun, our, our predictions are fairly accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, where they really fall apart is when there are solar flares or geomagnetic storms, and that's because we don't fully understand yet how those impact the ionosphere. We're learning, and uh, one of these days we'll probably have a lot better understanding, but right now there's still a lot of uh, 
art in propagation. There was an article you wrote about why contesting uh, seems like uh, more and more people are on the air and you you did the formula about uh, whether or not it really does heat up the ionosphere and get right <laughs> yeah that came from a, a, a question from a reader that uh, said he thought that the bands were always better when a contest started and yeah. he postulated maybe that's because all the rf we sent up into the atmosphere could help ionize the atmosphere. Uh, what I wrote in my, in my World Radio column was that didn't seem likely because it takes a lot of power density to <laughs> modify the ionosphere to make it better. And my conclusion was, really, I think the bands are open a lot more than we think. We're just not there. We're at work with the family. Or we listen and there's nobody else there, so we get off. And if somebody would have just transmitted, it might have helped. <laughs> I think that's very true. That yep. that was a, that was kind of funny. I mean, you were doing it sort of like you're being serious, but I think you know you went through the numbers and mm-hmm. there were microwatts into the atmosphere. It's like there's right. no way that could have happened. It might just be that people got on the air that weekend. Well, let's not say <laughs> let's not say. Uh, uh, there's no way or anything like that. Uh, you know, there's a lot we don't know about. <laughs> um, you know, for you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard that. You know, we we only know about about four percent of what makes up the universe. The other stuff is dark energy and dark matter. So we may have a lot to learn here. No, I I, I think that's <laughs> this will be looked back on a period of time when people thought they knew everything. Right, just like <laughs> probably a hundred years ago, I bet. That's right. Well, you you sound like you have a passion for this part of amateur radio. Actually, uh, radio in general, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yes, it's uh, it's hard to describe. Uh, but I was licensed in uh, 1961, mm. back when I was in 8th uh, grade, I believe it was, and, you know, listened to Sputnik. And in 57, uh, I, I had been a shortwave listener prior to my amateur radio license. And uh, it, it's just the excitement of talking to someone really far away, you know, via radio. You know, we can do that, of course, via cell phones and Internet now, nowadays. But mm-hmm. uh, th- this passion that many of us of my era have, uh, you know, just won't go away, and that's what makes all this stuff kind of exciting to me. Well, I, I, I have to say, I'm so glad that uh, you took the time to visit with us here at uh, 99 Hobbies. Well, I'm glad to help out, Dave, and hopefully, uh, uh, if anyone's interested in propagation topics, they can always email me at uh, k9la at awrl.net. Or uh, there's some several good books out there that uh, are very good introductory propagation books, and then you can always get into deeper ones as you see fit. All right. Um, is, is there, are there any other uh, places that I'm going to put these in the show notes, any uh, place that uh, you suggest that people would go to to uh, find out sure. more about propagation? Sure. There's uh, one of the probably the, the, the best introductory books is offered by CQ Magazine. It's called The New Shortwave uh, propagation handbook. It's uh, mainly by Jacobs, and I think he's uh, consulted with uh, uh, Rose and uh, Cohen. And it's a good overall book, and that's a good place to start. Uh, if you go to, you know, www.cq-amateur-radio.com, uh, you'll you can find their bookstore, I believe, and and get that, or look in any CQ magazine. Um, of course, there are several. Uh, websites that um, um, 
offer uh, space, space weather uh, parameters, for example. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, the Space Environment Center in Boulder, that's uh, sec.noaa.gov, secnoagov, or there's spaceweather.com. Space weather's all one word. Mm-hmm. And they give general uh, what's the probability of a solar flare or a geomatic storm or, or what are the sunspots. And they have little tutorials, and they're explaining more. So those are two good websites to go to. Oh, that sounds there are great. a lot of amateur radio websites, too, that basically uh, report the numbers that come out of those websites. Mm-hmm. And it changes every day, huh? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's, it's quite variable. And, uh, for example, the uh, one of the... Uh, uh, one of the things I'm interested in in propagation for is uh, uh, DXing, and it's uh, it's fascinating. It's a great way to learn about geography uh, and politics uh, throughout the world. And right now, there's a de-expedition on uh, Saint Brandon Island in the Indian Ocean, 3B7C, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, trying to work them. It it it, it helps to uh, have a good understanding of propagation, and also realize that uh, some days it, it's just not going to be there, and uh, the fact that they're there for several weeks is really going to help because as conditions go up and down, you just got to be at the right place at the right time, and uh, they'll be in the log. Uh, of course, they're they're a very very good group of guys, and they're probably I think they've worked over a hundred thousand cusos right now as of uh, uh, earlier this morning. I saw it on a website somewhere. Can you imagine what that must be like? <laughs> yeah, it's probably a lot of fun. Uh, lots of frequent traveler, mi- frequent flyer miles. I bet. That's right. Maybe some boat fl- boat miles too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Carl, um, I want to tell you again. Thanks so much for spending the time with us here. Um, this we went over time. Uh, most of the people say that they like a 15-minute podcast. I'm right now we're at 23 minutes, and I I had like three or four more questions I wanted to ask you. So uh, maybe we'll have to talk again. Carl K9LA, thanks so much for being on 99 Hobbies. Okay. Okay, Dave. Uh, glad to help out and. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating subject, and uh, it's a great way to experience amateur radio, understanding some of the how your RF gets from here to there. So, um, seventy three, and uh, hope to talk to you again. Okay, Carl, seventy three.